Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we're discussing all things coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. As always, two excellent guests join me this week, so I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Andy Plymer. I'm the host of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. Uh, we're at uh, episode 98 coming out this week, so closing in on the century. Uh, I've been a phys ed teacher for over 20 years, a rugby coach for um, almost, yeah, well, 15 years. Uh, my current team that I coach is the Concordia University women's side, and I am the defense coach for them. I also coach my 11-year-old, my 8-year-old, my 5-year-old, and I have even started coaching some ice sports here in Montreal, so uh, trying my hand at everything. Um, love coaching, love the relationships that you form, and I love watching your team grow over a period of a season. So thanks for having me on, Phil. Uh, I am Luke Gromer. I teach ninth grade English, coach ninth grade basketball. Um, I coach some youth teams as well. Um, I host a podcast called the Coaches Club Podcast, and I'm not close to the century mark yet. So uh, props to you for that. I think I'm I'm still in the 20s. Um, but uh, yeah, to make a long story short, have been on just like a, a really fun learning journey over the last about a year and a half um, where I thought I was going to have a chance to give a TEDx talk about the need for coach education. And then COVID shut the world down a week later. And then they're like, we're going to do it. And now it's, it's still never happened long story short, but I've interviewed, I don't know, 50 plus coaches, authors, leaders in sports, um, just diving into coaching, coach education um, and, and kind of, yeah, all things coaching. So um, it's been a fun journey for me and, and really just uh, fun to share with other coaches the things that I've been learning about and trying to apply. Gents, fantastic. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you both on. Thank you for uh, making the time. Nothing like amping up the pressure when you've got two other podcast hosts on with you just to, to you know, try and keep me on my toes. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, just before we get going, a uh, reminder to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content that the guys discuss and other useful resources. Uh, Andy, we're coming to you first. What are you going to chat to us about? Uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, it's my version of the Bible. Uh, it's uh, Ray McLean's book called Any Given Team. Uh, anyone who's listened to my podcast will have heard me uh, mention this often. It was a book that was given to me or recommended to me about 12 years ago in my coaching journey. And uh, it, 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 with a couple other key books, I'd put Lynn Kidman's stuff down there as well as being one of those key books. Uh, it just revolutionized the way I approach, not, not, the, not the pedagogy around coaching, but more about the, uh, the environment that I was creating and, and how I was including the players into that, those decisions and actually, in the end of the day, letting them lead the team and me simply be uh, a voice when needed. Um, so it, it's, it's been huge for me and uh, I would strongly recommend all coaches have a read of it. It's nice and light reading, but it's so applicable and practical and you can start the process at the beginning of your season uh, and follow it through uh, for, for, the, for the remainder of it and you'll see huge benefits in it. Did you want me to, did you want sure. me to 
talk yeah, mate, dive, yeah, dive into it. What, top, what are your top takeaways? What are the things right that you about you? So basically, it's, it's addressing the, uh, the most overused word in coaching. Uh, there's a few, but uh, team culture is uh, probably right up there uh, as one of the most overused for me. That's actually two words, uh, but we'll go with it. Um, yeah, that, that when I when I hear teams talking about culture or coaches talking about oh, building a good culture, culture, I want to ask questions about, you know, well, what does that look like? How are you doing it? How are the players involved in it? Who's making those decisions? Who's driving it? Is it your culture or is it the, the players' culture? Uh, culture that they're coming up with so so this is what ray's book does he was uh he was a former phys ed teacher himself he then um he then got into uh he wasn't in the air force in australia but uh he got a gig training some uh fairly high level pilots and trying to work on teamwork and cohesion and he kind of fell into that job and then from that process he developed his model which has basically been refined by him over two decades he leads a company called leading teams uh, he works with uh, professional sporting teams all over Australia and beyond, uh, mostly in the Aussie rules kind of uh, area, but he's done loads in rugby union um, with people like, um, you know, the Waratahs and I think uh, the, the Reds a little bit. Uh, he's done some stuff over in New Zealand as well and with rugby league as well. So essentially what his process is, is uh, you discuss with the players, how do you want to be viewed? Uh, as we go through this season, how do you want to be viewed at the end of it or throughout the season? And how do you think we're being viewed right now? Uh, so from that, you pull out some, you know, some positives, some negatives, uh, some keywords, um, and you move into, okay, now that we have that, uh, if we could be a fly on the wall at the end of the season and we're, we're overhearing other teams talk about us, what, what do we want them to be saying? Um, so you get all that information out from your team. It is a, is a lengthy process. Um, I've, I've kind of refined it a bit. I do a, quite a bit of it online now uh, with Google Forms and things like that. Um, and then from those keywords, uh, you, you empower the players to come up with a trademark for the season. So the trademark is it's not meant to be cliched. It's not meant to be on a, on a T-shirt or anything like that. Uh, it's, a, it's a trademark that is almost like a rally cry without sounding too uh too cliched as well um but it's basically a, a you know a three to five word sentence about what 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 the team is trying to achieve that season so my last one in this process was uh with a senior men's team uh we actually went on um to to win the 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 tour, the, the competition um and it, we were five and five team so we weren't a, a dominant team at all and we wouldn't have won without this process. I strongly believe. So we were our our trademark there was work hard, have fun, win. Uh, I didn't really like the win part, but they wanted it, so uh, we went with it. Um, so once the trademark's established, and it's it's got to be a hundred, like not a hundred percent, but it's got to be a strong, unanimous decision that this is our trademark. The players then uh, go around uh, creating behaviors uh, at, in any any form, anytime they're representing the team. So. It could be a list of behaviors uh, at practice, a list of behaviors 24 hours before game, a list of behaviors on the field. Uh, you can even include recovery in there as well. So these are, again, these are from the players. Um, I kind of limit it to, you know, four or five behaviors uh, that have to be measurable. Uh, they can't be vague. They have to be measurable to say you're doing this, you're not doing this. Um, and they, are, again, have to be agreed on by the players. So once you've got the trademark, then you've got your behaviors, 
you go into the the key part for me is uh, the peer review, and you are facilitating uh, peer review conversations from player to player about uh, are you uh, achieving the trademark right now? Uh, here's some things that you're doing really well, and then even it up. Here's some things that I really think you can work on. Um, so my kind of rules around that, I've, I've molded it into my own context and my rules around that are um, what happens in peer review stays in peer review. Uh, you give one positive, you have to give one work on. Uh, can never be uh, someone walking away thinking they're, they're the best player in the team or vice versa, someone walking away thinking they, they don't belong. Um, I, uh, there's no humor. I don't allow any comedy in peer review. Uh, it's business. We, we've um, we've got to we've got to get down to business and and get results. And then the other one, which is really big for me, is uh, in peer review. You can't you can't comment on your on your peer review that you're getting. You can't, and you definitely can't justify. So if you get a negative peer review, an honest reflection, um, you know, it's not aggressive. It's not finger pointing. It's not anything like that. Um, you can't then say, yeah, but you know what? I had a hard night at work the night before, so I was pretty tired for that game. Um, because if you justify poor behavior or behavior that's not fitting to, to the trademark that you and all the other players agreed on, you're just going to repeat that behavior. So that, that's a big one for me. Um, the peer review process, it's, it's, it's pretty tricky. You got It's a skill. You, you have to work on it as a coach. Uh, I've done it. I do it in many different ways. I don't just do it in uh, you know, a room with 30 people. Um, I've started it in the past where it's been anonymous. The first round of peer review has been anonymous. Second round is pairs so that they're in a safer kind of environment. Then I'll start getting in the units, um, you know, three or four players in a group. Um, I've even done speed dating peer review where you have, you know, a, a circle of 10 players and another circle inside that for 10 players. You get a minute peer review, then you move to the next person. Um, so what you end up getting there is a lot of feedback um, about uh, the same themes coming from other players. Uh, so it's really clear to to the athlete that hey you know what I I think I'm strong here but I also think I need to need to be working on this. Um, in that peer review as well, once once before that peer review happens, uh, there is a a process of electing a leadership group as well. So Ray McLean was probably the first person to coin that term leadership group, uh, and that is the players, coaches obviously oversee it, but the players uh, elect, and it can be two, three, four. I, I've never gone over, well, I've gone over four and it hasn't worked well because, you know, there's always like seven guys who aren't in the leadership group and 12 who are and it doesn't seem right. Um, so I, I keep it at four, two forwards, two backs and my captain's in that. Uh, and they are they are your, your conduit between the players and you. So you lean on the leaders heavily to, they can run peer review once they get skilled in it. Uh, they can give feedback to you from players who may not feel comfortable coming to you with an issue. Um, and they're your voices, they're your voice on the field and at practice as well. So, you know, it takes away the big stick kind of mentality as well, that they are driving the standards, they are driving the behaviors. And all it comes down to is just good, open, honest conversations. And I don't think there's any team in the world that can't have more of those uh, because there is a direct uh, benefit in terms of performance. Um, you know, we've all seen those champion teams uh, who are like no names, but then there's a, the team of superstars who can't seem to click. Um, so I, I'm a massive fan of it. I do it with every team that I'm head coach of. I think it should be head coach driven. Uh, I've tried it as an outsider and it doesn't work. 
um, but it should be head coach driven and it lays the found work for the problems that will happen. You will have problems with every team you coach. Uh, you will have little hurdles, little, little speed bumps and you lay the foundations day one on, on your trademark and you fall back on that all the time and all throughout the season. So, yep, Ray McLean's uh, book, Any Given Team, is my selection. I'm loving that. Mate, there's loads of detail there. I've, I've got about like 30 questions written down, so <laughs> I'm just trying to work out where to go first. Um, I, I guess we'll stay in the detail. As I, I quite like that. So how how do you build the skills around having honest conversations in, in young people? Because, mm. I mean, even as coaches, like that, I don't think that that's something that coaches get very good at very quickly. Like it takes a long time. Is there anything that you've seen or any like top tips for people that may want to explore this around actually how do they get the players to be better at having an honest conversation? Because that, there's there's a, there's a, a pretty big risk there that mm. it, it could go quite badly, couldn't it? Do you know what I mean? If, if I'm yeah. not very yeah. good at that, I could give you some terrible feedback and disrupt something or mm. I could just not get my point across very well at all. So what, what have you done around that? Yeah, 100%. It's... it's- yeah, there is risk there for sure, but there's greater risk if you leave this stuff bubbling under the surface. But I 100% agree with your point. Um, I I think well, this is this kind of goes back to I, my last interview that I did that's coming out next week. I uh, my guest uh, was talking about uh, leadership and and I was guilty of this. He's like, we pick leaders and then we just let them go. We don't actually train them to be leaders. We don't give them feedback and advice and hey what'd you do here what'd you do there how do you think you could do differently and i think the peer reviews the same um i so that's why i have the rules as well that what happens in peer review stays in peer review so there's no you walk away from the peer review session if you've got a rough peer review then you know that's it you move on we're all in this together we're trying to get better um i definitely am present in the peer reviews like i am i am floating around and i'm 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 running those early ones the anonymous one where they write it down and hand it in i can vet some of this stuff and i can actually find out who who did the first like who, who said something and I'll, I'll have a chat to them and say look this is the process we want to go through um so yeah i i it's a very drip feed process you can't just you know all in a room uh pointing fingers uh that's obviously not the idea of the whole thing so um the other thing that you i've found is trends is that and i've done this from uh from grade nine upwards so grade nine boys all the way up to to senior rugby players um is what they'll always start with is technical they'll always start with technical tactical talk oh your passing's really good i think you could work on your kicking um so they naturally go to this safe area and then you can then start going, okay, so we've done a, a both technical. How about this time, this round of peer review, we're going to say, okay, what's, what's something that's got nothing to do with rugby that this person's doing well and what's something that they could, you know, maybe work on. It doesn't have to be the worst thing ever. It, it, it might be just something, you know, that they're, they're not even aware of. Like I, I was a player coach for uh, three long, uh, difficult, uh, horrendous years. No, they, they grew me as a coach massively, but it was very hard work. Um, and I, we, when I was running this peer review process, we had a, a coaching peer review where I sat in the middle and 30 guys peer reviewed me and my assistant coach. And one of the things that came up was I used to wear my headphones in the warm up before game. And I, I didn't even know that upset people, but about four or five people said, we don't like it when you wear your headphones in the warm up. And I'm like, okay. That's 
good feedback. So the headphones in the warm up got ditched straight away. So that was something that was, you know, it's kind of like uh, Ted Lasso uh, getting the note from uh, from his his uh, defender saying we need more water pressure. It's got nothing to do with soccer, but it's got a lot to do with like the team environment and you know the the culture and the the, the harmony within the group. So you know, me having headphones on wasn't really affecting my game, but it was affecting the group as a whole. And I had to address that. Yeah. So, so in summary, I'd, I'd just say like, take it super, super slow. Uh, it's got to be an every session thing though. You have to mention the trademark in every practice and you have to have a peer review every week. Um, and it can be as little or as much as you want, but I would just strongly recommend drip feeding it, be coach led, heavily coach led in those first few rounds until you feel that you can slowly take the, take the foot off the brakes a little bit. I love it. Um, Luke, what's, what's your experience in terms of, um, I guess, young, young kids and, and kind of teenagers coming into this type of stuff? Like, would, is this something that you, you do or you've done or how, how would these, those types of conversations happen for you in your environment? So, very, very similarly to Andy, we don't call it a trademark, but essentially co-create uh, a standard, right? Or, or a trademark uh, for our group and attach some words to it, some language to it. So, uh, you know, a couple, let's see, la the last year's team, I think we were, the two phrases were all out and all together. And that's kind of what we just came back to and anchored to. And then like, you talked about, uh, Andy, we, we got into the behaviors. What would we actually see us doing? Um, if we were living out that identity, uh, what were the, what would be the behaviors that we would exhibit as a team and as individuals yeah. for people to say what we said we wanted them to say about us. And I love to frame that part. Um, that first question of, you know, what do we want people to say about us? I love to ask this question, Hey, if blank came and watched us play, what would you want them to say? So like I'm coaching basketball and we're in a college town. So I'm like, Hey, if coach Musselman, the basketball coach at the university of Arkansas came and watched us play a ninth grade basketball game, what would you want him to say about our team? And now it's like, Oh, wow. And they start, they start throwing out all those things. And the, the, the ironic part about it, I'm sure you would say the same Andy is it's all the things you want them to say. Like, mm. yes, I want us to be this kind of team too, but now they're all of a sudden saying it, creating it. And then you attach the behaviors to it. One of the things that we're really intentional about doing, especially since it's a school team, is uh, we contextualize it to the classroom too. Like, hey, what's it? What does all out and all together look like in the classroom? What's it look like um, during your school day? What does it look like when you're out in our community? Um, and really just getting them to think beyond just, you know, 90 minutes in practice every day and two games a week. But how do we actually live out this identity and, and helping them understand like you represent more than just yourself here on this team, um, that they're connected to something that's bigger than them. Um, as far as the peer review stuff goes, haven't tried that, but I'm really intrigued by it. I, I like what you shared there, Andy. I, I think I've done little maybe pieces of that where some peers give feedback, but not that intentionally or systematized. A couple of the big things that we've done as far as, you know, how do you ensure that that, that trademark or identity comes to life is one, like Andy mentioned, like it, you gotta, it's gotta be an everyday thing, talking about it every day. And then the other thing is we do a lot of celebrating it. So at the end of every practice or game, 
Um, we reserve a minute or two um, to get what we just call some celebrations. And that is when we as the coaches ask each other for when and where they saw a teammate be all out or all together, right? So, hey, Phil, I love the way you dove for that loose ball in the third quarter, right? Um, those things I think are just so, so powerful, especially when it's peer to peer. And, and again, it's like they'll naturally default to that tech tack stuff at first, but once you can start to get them to actually identify and see the behaviors that we're looking for, I think that's when that that language really becomes powerful and tangible. And you know, it's it's the culture that they own. I, can I can I share a story about that too, really quick? Yeah, go um, yeah. So in this, this was not the ninth grade team. This was actually a team of let's see, under tens that I coached last spring in basketball, and I didn't do as extensive as of a culture creation um, kind of activity and, and um, trademarking or standard setting um, with those fourth graders. We did did kind of an abbreviated version just to really um, create a culture that was about um, effort and. Um, like serving each other really was what it was about. Like that, that's what we're going to be on this under 10 team. And one of the things that um, I, I did about a month or so into the season to bring some of the language to life that we had been using. Um, and this is an idea that I, that I stole from uh, the coach's guide to teaching by Doug Lamont. And I know I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, about a month or so into the season, I went and got a plunger and spray painted it gold. And I started bringing this golden plunger to practice with me for a couple of weeks. And I wouldn't tell the kids what it was. I just showed up to practice with a golden plunger and I'd have it with me all practice is on the sideline. We come in for a huddle. I'd have it with me. And you can imagine 10 year olds like, what, what is this? Why do you have a plunger? Why is it golden? Can I touch it? And I'm like, no, you can't touch it. And every time they'd ask, he's like, that's a great question. And I finally told him, I was like, Hey guys, I'll tell you what this is. Um, after our two games on next Saturday. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, cool. And so long story short, we play those two games. And then after those two games, we huddle up. And, and I told them, they've been asking the whole time. I, like, I had the golden plunger sitting on the bench next to me. And they're still like, what is it? They don't even know. After the game, we huddle up and um, I say, all right, guys, this is the golden plunger. And we give it out to the player that does the dirty work. And they all go, oh, like they love it. And I said, okay, great. But here's the question. What does the dirty work look like for us? And, and they started they started sharing all the things that I would have wanted them to say, right? Oh, it's the guy that um, is rebounding for us or the guy that runs really hard in transition to create space for someone else. It's the guy that dives on the floor for loose balls. It's the guy that makes the extra pass um, to their teammate that's open. It's the guy that gets their eyes up immediately when they catch the ball to try to find an open teammate. They just started listing all these things. It's like, yes, this is what we give out the, dirty, the golden plunger for, for doing the dirty work, those things. And I just said, so who should get it um, for today's games? And they all just pointed at the same kid. And that's when I think that's when, you know, like, okay, they get it. They, they get the behaviors that we're going for that are driving, you know, that performance and results that we want to. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful thing to do in conjunction with what Andy was sharing is, can you kind of get a cultural artifact? Maybe it's golden plunger. I, I just did an interview with a, a baseball coach and they have a rock. They literally spray painted a rock. They're two colors and they give out a rock at the end of every game. And if you win the rock, you get to write your initials on it and the date of the game. And, and like, 
all the guys want to win the rock. They just want a D3 baseball national championship. And they're taking pictures of the rock after each game, like finding something to a physical object that you can award people um, to tie that language and those behaviors together. It's just fun. Cause then the rest of the season too, it's like we gave out the golden plunger at the end of every week or after our games. And after those, that, that first game um, I'd have players like come and just tell me after, after our games, I'd be like, all right, come give me your vote for who should win it. And they just kind of vote on who they thought should win it. Um, and, and, it, and it's just, it's special too. Like the, it's something those kids remember and it, it creates the sense of like uniqueness to your culture too. Like everyone else is like, why do you have a golden plunger? Right. It's just, it's our thing, right? Uh, people outside of our team, they don't really get it, but this is meaningful to us. And I think that that's just another powerful way, right. To bring language to life, bring us behaviors to life that we want to see. I love the story. I, I mean, uh, a guy called David Sharkey over here has, has been doing a lot of stuff around theming. And I definitely think this would start to fall within that bracket around actually, you know, whether it's a kind of a subsection or whether it's a, a big story, it just helps tell the story, doesn't it? It brings something to life that actually could be a little bit mundane and a little bit monotonous. As you say, if, if they can live and breathe it, then um, you're, yeah, you're a long way down that road, which is fantastic. Andy, I'm interested in um, how the players deal with, I don't want to say negative feedback, but like two people's perceptions can both be real, right? So we, we can we can watch the same game and we can have a, an interaction and we can both walk away with very different perceptions of that moment and both can be true. How, how do they deal with that, that you might be seeing me in a way that I don't see myself? Like for young people, that, I mean, it's a skill for anybody, let alone young people. How, how do they kind of manage those interactions when it when it's maybe some home truths that they weren't aware of or that they might not like the sound of? Yeah, I think, um, well, before before I jump into that, I just want to touch on a couple of things Luke said. Um, I love that plunger idea. I, um, I was real rebuilding a program one year and I gave every kid a house brick and I'd painted it white and they, they, had, to, they had to pimp their brick and bring it to every practice, every game. And they, they ended up making a big pyramid before every game. Um, and it was exactly what you were saying there. There was, you know, there's a level of symbolism there and connection that, you know, everyone's got a brick and other coaches like, what's with the bricks? And, you know, people want to be in your group, but it's, no, it's our group. We've created this. So it's, it's very unique and, and the players feed off that. So yeah, I, I was, uh, I was, I was taken back a little bit for, for from that one, so that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think I think it's kind of, it's just like being in the classroom, right? Being a teacher and and being a parent as well. Like I know my oldest kid, I discipline her differently to my middle kid, who's and I discipline my youngest similar to my middle kid and a little bit like my older kid. I think everyone's everyone's dis different and. I think just controlling that environment is really important. Like I would never, ever, ever do peer review post game. Like never, ever. Like it's just you're 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 going to do far much worse. Uh, you've got the potential to do far more damage than you do have good things. It's kind of like doing, you know, a, a bunch of sprints before a big game. Like you you're gonna ruin your players. Like uh, there's no point in doing that. So uh, definitely 24 hour rule is a big one. Uh, I, I just will always offer myself up for support as well. But then I also think that the important part there is just being really, really present as a coach. Um, 
when they're peer reviewing, it's not, you don't get, you know, five minutes to go kick the ball around or something like that and do drop goals or anything like that. You have to be watching body language and knowing you, knowing your players really well as well. Going into that is, is important. Like who are the ones who, who take feedback poorly or are a little bit, you know, um, close-minded around that and don't really, you know, ask questions or, or things like that. So knowing the group's really important. And then just time, yeah, timing, timing that peer review um, at the right time of week is important, being present and being there to support them as well. Um, another saying that I will often drop uh, when I'm leading a team is uh, see something, say something. Uh, so if you see something that's going wrong, you've got to say something, you've got to address it. Same thing. If you see a teammate who's down, uh, you have to go and say something, you've got to pick them up. And it's the same for the coach. If you see a teammate that, or a player that you think, you know what, I think they're having a hard, hard review on this. Um, you've got to go support them. But I would also say this too. I like, I've, I've done, I've, I did this at a, a under 17 national camp and one kid copped a really, a, a tough one. And, I spoke to him and I honestly think that that was the first time he'd ever been received feedback like that uh, in his life. And so for me, I think that's, that's awesome. Like that's an amazing chance to grow as a human and, and get better. And he handled it really well. Um, And there was some real truths that were coming out there and it was consistent themes from player to player to player. Um, So I also think we shouldn't shy away from it as well. Um, you can't just like, you know, let loose and open up the open up the floodgates. But you, we can't be scared to have honest conversations or have our players have honest conversations because we we need more of that, especially now uh, when there's not a lot of peer to peer real life interaction. Um, we we need to promote it and, and support it. I think you make a great point there. Yeah, just about how how needed it is and. I mean, I can think of, yeah, probably a dozen examples off the top of my head of players that have probably gone through their school careers or their club careers or whatever. And and they've just, because they're maybe the better player, they're maybe more likable than a lot of other people. They they just find themselves in a position where they don't, yeah, you say they don't get those hard truths. And, and actually when someone tries to sit down and you try and have that conversation, they are just not used to receiving feedback. Talking with a coach, you know, the other day um, from a trial, and a, and a player had um, all of the coaches had kind of written a note around actually like doesn't receive feedback well for this player. He he went and spoke to them and and they just said you know the question was you know how well do you think you take feedback and the player was like yeah no I'm I'm always open to feedback and there was just this complete disconnect between what the coaches were seeing in terms of body language and everything else and the player going yeah like I, just give me feedback I'm I'm fine and it it it, it was just again it's just the reality of both are true. Like it's not to say one is wrong and one is right, but it is actually how can we have a conversation to go, are you aware or we're going to inform you that actually all of the coaches think you don't take feedback. Oh crap. Mm. Right. There's a reality check for me. What is it I'm doing or not doing that makes them think that's the case. And and then at least as you say, you can overcome the problem rather than just letting it be, well, we won't pick them. They might be good, but they don't take feedback. So we won't bother. Yeah. And I think, I think you can, it comes down to prepping as well. Like, uh, I'll drop another book there, Carol Dweck's amazing book, Mindset. Um, that should be mandatory reading for all coaches. And you that you start your season with that concept. Okay, are you? Do you have a growth mindset or you, do you have a fixed mindset? What What do those two things mean, and what do they look like? 
and what's going to happen throughout the year where, oh, you know what, if you've got a fixed mindset, you might actually end up uh, reacting like this, but you've got to train yourself to actually react the other way. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll add one more thing in there, just like prepping the group that there will be a time when you'll get feedback that makes you feel uncomfortable. And here's how, you know, are some ways to, to respond to that effectively. I love it. I'm already really conscious of time. I, yeah, I, 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 I could, I'll just... Oh, go on, Luke, go for it. No, I was just going to say that I love that. I think that that's, that's critical. Like that's... Man, if we can give young people those skills, that's so much more important than winning a rugby game or a basketball game. I mean, just the ability to give and receive feedback, to be able to hear hard feedback and to not let it shut you down or, um, yeah, heighten you emotionally, but to be able to actually hear it, receive it, and then act on it. I mean, that's, that's so powerful. So I just want to say, yeah, Andy, I love that. I think that, and that's so, it's so important that we actually intentionally create some systems that teach the things that we say we want to teach. Well, no, that's a great point. Really, really good. I say I, I could talk about this all evening, but um, uh, we'll we'll have to move it on. So um, I think we'll part that one there. It may kind of roll into some of Luke's stuff as well. So uh, Luke, we'll jump over to you. What is it you're going to chat to us about? Uh, all right. Um, so to make a long story short, I had the chance to write the study guide to the Coach's Guide to Teaching, Doug Lamom's book. Um, and then I've been running some virtual book clubs uh, covering uh, chapter three from the book, which is all about feedback and questioning. And I've just become fascinated by it, fascinated by the feedback that we give as coaches to our athletes. And really the question of, is the feedback we're giving actually helping our athletes improve. And one of the other interviews that I have done to this point is with uh, Dr. Julie McCleary. She's a researcher at the University of Washington, and she has led a lot of the ambitious coaching research um, at the University of Washington. And as I was talking to her about feedback, she said that in their research, they found that around 75% of observable coaching behaviors in their research had something to do with feedback. And as I was just thinking and reflecting on that, I was just thinking, man, that is just such a massive, a massive amount of what we do as coaches is provide feedback. And then there's this quote from chapter three that Doug uses, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he says, the things that we do most often, we often give the least amount of thought to. And I think that's true in coaching with our feedback oftentimes. And, and this question that was mulling around in my brain is, man, how much could the learning improve for your team if we got marginally better at giving feedback, the thing we do 75% of the time? And that question, I think, is so important for us to consider, man, what, what would happen to this environment, to their learning, and ultimately to our team's performance if I got better at giving feedback? And I'll share one quote and then maybe kind of a framework that I love from chapter three of the book. Um, the soul of good feedback, as Doug puts it, the soul of good feedback is this. We want to say, um, I believe in you and that can be better at the same time. Right? We want to be able to speak to athletes, our belief in them and our high expectations and standards for 
or how they can improve and grow. And to tie into what we we're talking about earlier with growth mindset, like this is how we foster it is with the language that we use with our athletes. And, and we can get into some of that, but the first thing from chapter three that I want to, to highlight and Doug, Doug breaks this down into some different sections throughout the chapter, but um, I'm just going to, I've kind of called it the FFA framework, um, stands for fast, focused, and aligned feedback. It's these three things. The, the first is fast feedback. Too often in practices, when coaches make a stoppage, it takes us way too long to give the feedback. And when I say when I say give feedback or a stoppage, I'm talking about, and this is how Doug defines it, when we're providing guidance after an initial effort at execution. So athletes have been trying to execute a skill or a game or a concept, and then we stop them to give feedback, right? And the fast feedback is how quickly can we actually deliver feedback to them when we make a stoppage to address something, to coach something, because I think we've probably all been guilty of it or seen it done where a stoppage is made and it drones on and on and on. And after 30 seconds, athletes' eyes are glazed over and they're not retaining or listening to any of it, right? And so fast feedback is huge. How quickly can you actually give your feedback? Can you give it succinctly? And can you be precise in your language? Is it clear? And then that next F is focused feedback. And Doug has kind of popularized this quote that I think another coach told him, um, if you chase five rabbits, you catch none, right? And, and too often when we make a stoppage, we give athletes five rabbits to chase. All right, Phil, Andy, we need to get better at blank, 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 blank. And you guys are like, uh, okay, coach. All right, let me see that now, play. And here's the issue with that. One, that's five things. Literally, our brains are working memory. We can hold one, maybe two things at a time in our mind. You guys weren't really listening. You don't even remember. You might remember one of the things, maybe two. When you start playing again, you're certainly not thinking of them. And the other issue is now, I don't even know what the heck I'm supposed to observe for as the coach. I gave you five things. I can't watch for five things at once. You can watch for one thing, maybe two things, right? But really one well, right? And so when we make this stoppage, and hopefully we deliver this feedback fast, how focused is it? Are we giving one piece of actionable feedback for our athletes that we want to see? Hey, pause. Phil, when you're catching the ball, you're doing this. What I need to see you do is this. Show me that now. Go right? That's, that's the focus of here's what I want you to focus on now after the stoppage. I'm looking for you to apply this feedback that I'm giving you right here. It's important enough for me to stop either you or everyone. And this is the one thing I want you to focus on. And then that last piece of that FFA is aligned, aligned feedback. And this is the secret sauce, or this is the key to it, right? Um, aligned feedback is this, it's giving feedback on the thing we just made a stoppage to give feedback on, right? And so, for example, right, we resume play and then we actually give feedback to those athletes on if they're doing the thing we told them we wanted them to see, right? If I told Andy that I wanted him to get wider as soon as our team gets the ball on offense, then I need to give Andy feedback on that. Andy, you've got to get wider the next time. Or if Andy does a great job getting wide as soon as we take possession, Andy, excellent job sprinting to the sideline and creating space, right? Whatever it is that you said you wanted to see, 
that live feedback needs to be aligned to it for a couple of reasons. One, it actually tells athletes if they're improving at what we've asked them to do. Two, it reinforces that our words matter, right? Too often we make a stoppage, tell athletes you want to see something, and then they don't hear about it from us again. And the message that that sends is my feedback's really not that important. I said, I wanted to see this, but I didn't follow through on it, right? I didn't even watch to see if you applied it. And the third reason it's so important is, and Doug used this quote in chapter three, the teaching happens when we talk, the learning happens when and if athletes apply the ideas, right? If they don't actually apply what we gave them feedback on, they're not going to learn it. They don't learn it in practice. It's not going to show up in the games, right? And so when we resume play through keywords or Maybe it's through, you know, a brief when, when there is a stoppage, right? To actually give feedback on what we gave feedback on in that stoppage, that's the aligned piece is can you stay focused on that piece of information that you made the stoppage to give? Because I think that if we all got better at giving fast, focused, and aligned feedback, it would transform our practices and the learning that happens in them. And, and part of the reason it would just transform them so much is because, again, it keeps us focused as the coach. Because you and I, all of us know, at any given time in a practice, there's 10 or 15 things we could coach. And oftentimes we feel the pressure to coach all of them. And, and we maybe think we're, we're good coaches when we coach all of it, when we identify the 15 things that are wrong, but it's, it's too much. And it's actually not helping them learn, right? Skilled coaching is staying focused on something, mastering that, then moving to the next thing right? Like don't chase five rabbits, master one thing, then move on to the next thing. Our ability to stay focused directly impacts their ability to stay focused and learn what we want them to learn. And the last piece of it, the reason I think that that framework is so important is I think that the feedback we give is one of, if not the most important things in developing positive relationships with our athletes. Again, it's something we do so often. We don't give enough thought to it, unfortunately. But I really believe every, athletes want, every athlete wants to know two things. One, do you care about me as a person? And two, can you actually help me get better here at the sport, this thing I care about, right? And when we get better at giving feedback, I think those two messages will just be continually reinforced because they're going to see themselves improving, right? And, and obviously we should be intentional about making sure they know we care about them as a person too, but a big piece of it, right, is can we actually help them get better at the sport? And when we get better at giving feedback, they're going to improve faster, right? And so I think that this piece of feedback is not only critical to the teaching and learning, but to the environment we're creating and the relationships we're trying to foster. That was a lot of me talking. Uh, what questions do you guys have about that or thoughts on it? No, I, mean, I, I love that. I think there's some really, really good stuff in there. Um, and I'm now, yeah, conscious of how fast I can, you know, provide feedback. So I'll try and get to the point quickly. Um, do you, do you ever separate it out in terms of, okay, within this, you know, the intent in this session is to cover, let's say a tactical element. So the, the piece of feedback I'm going to be giving everybody is on X and then in mm -hmm. other sessions, when you're kind of looking at that individual development and you differentiate, are you then maybe doing that lots of times with lots of different athletes around different things? Do you kind of separate those? Because 
I would certainly know from my coaching and, and watching other people that there seems to be this kind of, right, we're going to talk about this as the overarching technical work on, mm-hmm. but then I'm going to try and give you loads of individual yeah. feedback as well. And it, it maybe confuses the message. So do you separate them? Like what's your perspective of that? I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I, I haven't necessarily um i haven't necessarily thought to i think what you said there at the end is is spot on though if we give the team a focus but then our individual focus our individual feedback is all over the place i think that gets really confusing again it just is like what's the focus here what are we actually supposed to focus on and so yeah i I think you're right there um you know i think there there is a place and there's a time even if you know and that's the thing about coaching and it's one of the things I appreciate about Doug's book is he says like the answer to so much of this is it depends. Like there's just not a ton of black and white in what we do. Um, and so that's important for us to remember too, because there are times when we've given the team a focus, but we recognize this athlete really needs this right now. Like this is the issue that they're having. I got to go give it to them. And that's when I think you just, that's the art of coaching is you go, you go grab them while they're rotating or you pull them off and just say, Hey, I'm seeing this. I think this is what's, what's causing these issues, issues for this. Let me see you try this now. Right. And, and giving one piece of feedback to one athlete, right. That doesn't take away from the whole group at all. Right. They're still focused on that thing. So Phil, I think that's a great question. I think the answer is yes. And especially if you're in an, maybe like an individual development portion of your practice, I think that's, that's definitely an important time wherein right? Like what's the focus for each of these kids here? Um, because it is probably different depending on what you're working on and your sport and all those factors that play into it. How, how do you go about kind of dropping in questions within that? And, I, and I'll bring Andy in on this as well, because I'm interested in, do, do you think questioning has disrupted? I know certainly in the UK, there would have been a lot of coach education on, you've got a question, that's the best way to draw the information out, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's probably shifted away from, I'm just going to tell you something. Um, yeah. Do you think questions start to disrupt that process, or are you saying that if they're good questions, they're just layered in because they get they still get to that fast feedback, but it's just yeah. doing it. That's a great question. Um, the issue most coaches have with questions is it takes longer, and oftentimes it does. And I'll say this about questions, and, and this again is really from from chapter three of Doug's book and, and a whole section in there on questioning and, and the five types of questioning and how to do it effectively. Um, just asking questions doesn't ensure that your athletes are thinking. And actually, if you're not intentional about crafting good questions and making it really clear what the means of participation are for athletes, I think questions are counterproductive. And so, yes, I think that sometimes in those stoppage the best thing to do is to deliver that feedback via a question. I'd say this, it, it's important probably to have some of those questions planned out. Like this is likely where we're, this is potentially where we'll go wrong in this section. And this is the question I'll ask to get us back on track, right? Because I've seen this before, um, or this is a question that I want them to consider to try to identify a new solution to this principle of play or whatever we're doing here. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that that's, that's the important part is with questions. Like we've got to be intentional with them. And what I mentioned there um, at the beginning of this answer with uh, the means of participation, I think that's one of the most critical pieces of effective questioning. And when I say means of participation, it literally is 
how are athletes going to think about and respond to your question, right? And there are lots of different options for that, but we should be very clear on it if we want to ensure that every athlete actually thinks about our question, right? So for example, if I make a stoppage and I want to talk about our transition defense, if I make the stoppage, I need to be very clear on um, how I want you guys to think about and respond to the question. So a few options are, I might make the stoppage and say, guys, pause. I have a question for you. I don't want anyone to raise your hand. I want you to think about the question that I'm going to call on someone randomly. That's cold calling. And the reason that that's so powerful is because everyone now knows, okay, I may get called on here. I've got to think about this. Now, one, one other key with cold calling, the way that you phrase the question is, is critical. If you say that, but then you say, so I'm going to ask this question, think about it. Don't raise your hand if you say that, but then you say, Phil, what should we do when blank happens? As soon as I said, Phil, everyone else stopped thinking. So what you have to do is you have to say, don't raise your hands. I'm going to call on someone randomly. What should we do when blank happens? Pause, Andy. Because when I ask it that way, everyone is thinking until the very last moment when I say Andy's name. But when I say the athlete's name and then ask the question, people stop thinking when they hear the name. And that's honestly something that I've realized I'm not great at. I often say the name before I ask the question and it just um, doesn't force everyone else to think. And, and that's the goal of asking a question to actually get them to think and process through it. A couple other quick means of participation that you can use is a turn and talk, right? Um, hey, Phil, Andy, I want you guys to talk to each other for 15 seconds. Um, what is our main issue here? Ready, set, talk, right? And then even telling from there, like, I'm going to call on one group randomly after you turn and talk to each other, right? You can layer those means of participation on each other. Or you say, hey, pause. I want you to raise your hand after I ask this question when you think you know the answer. Um, and right, raising your hand is another one. But the big thing here is if you're going to ask questions, you've got to plan them and you've got to be clear on how athletes are going to participate to ensure that they're, the questions are actually causing them to think and a couple things to avoid at all costs, don't ask rhetorical questions and don't ask questions with obvious answers. They just kill mental engagement, right? Uh, you know, yeah, you got to avoid that if you want to use questions effectively and, and build that culture of kind of mental rigor and engagement alongside the physical um, learning and skill acquisition. Andy, were you going to jump in? Sorry. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, um, that a lot of this is coming through from, uh, teaching as well. Uh, I've, I've read, um, I haven't read the entire book, but, uh, Doug's first book teach like a champion. I don't know if it was his first book, but he's uh, teaching one. So as soon as, as soon as you said cold calling, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, and I think that's great too. Cause it also stops at, you know, one, those one or two dominant athletes who will answer all the questions, whether they're right or wrong. Uh, and, those really quiet ones, those five or six really quiet ones who couldn't think of anything worse than to answer a question, but they have to, to be engaged. So, yeah, I, I think that's really cool. One, one, um, yeah, it's interesting when you're talking about questions versus direct feedback and it's, it's, it's like a lot of things in sport. We go through these cyclical trends in coaching where it's like, what, you don't ask questions. Wow. You must be a really bad coach. Um, and I think it just like, like you said, Doug says it, it just depends. Uh, it depends on your group. 
So if you're questioning a group of 14 year olds about, um, you know, defense in rugby, they don't know what they don't know. So it, you might have to be more direct with them in the early stages and then create a, a platform or a, a, some language that they understand and then start questioning a bit more. Whereas, you know, with a more experienced group, uh, you might be more heavy on the questions and less on the, on the, the, the direct feedback. So, yeah, I think that's massive. Uh, it depends on your group. Um, I've even heard coaches say, I'll never answer a question. I'll ask lots of questions, but I'll never give an answer. And I just think I, I would be so frustrated as a player if I was being coached by you, because at the end of the day, that's we've got a coach and part of coaching, why we do coach is because we're passionate about the sport. We feel we, we know a lot about our sport. We feel we have an understanding of how we'd like to see the, the game played based on the group of athletes we have. So to say that you only question, I, I think that's uh, that's that's dangerous, and you end up missing some really good opportunities a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think what you shared, said there is is so spot on. It's this continuum. Like, are, where are they on this expert to novice continuum? If they're closer to a novice, right, they need to be told some more because they don't know what they don't know. Right, asking a question to someone who doesn't have sufficient background knowledge is oftentimes a waste of time. If they don't know enough about the sport, the concept, whatever, asking a question there isn't going to actually be very mentally engaging because in their mind they're just like, I don't even know what he's talking about. What am I supposed to think about here? What is he? I don't know. The, I don't know this language. I don't know these words. So that background knowledge is huge. And like you said, you know, sometimes with those younger groups, they they don't have it, right? And so it's probably best not to ask a question because it, it'll be more frustrating for them, confusing all those things. It is okay to tell athletes, it, give direct feedback. Right. And I, I appreciate what you said, Andy. It's like the pendulum swings from one side to the other. And the reality is probably we should land somewhere in the middle. Most of the time. I, I think there's something about that in terms of, I, I would probably temper a lot of my uh, kind of direct instruction with, like that's a way it, it's the way I'm thinking about it. So just, it, it's not, I, I think that the, the issue some people would have with it is when we present things as a fait accompli almost like that's the only way. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to do nothing else other than what I want you to do. And that, that is where I think it gets to that extreme of the spectrum where you're just going, well, hold on. Like there's clearly hundreds of different ways to catch and pass a ball or sidestep someone or kick or whatever. Like, yes, there are some good models we probably want to build some stuff around that, but it's not always going to look the same. So I am one of a number of resources that you can use to answer that question. So even in my head there, I'm just going actually like, yeah, I'm more than happy to answer that, but maybe I need to go, okay, who else are you going to ask? Cause there's probably three or four other people on the team that will give you a really good answer. So it's not just me. Like it's not this coaches and Oracle that knows everything and they're not glasses, you know, that are half empty waiting to be filled up. It's, you know, yeah. Like there's loads of resources here who me channeling them to go and find some other things to counterbalance what I've said or what someone else has said. And, or actually just explaining that nuance, like, Oh, so-and-so said this, you've said this, they're different. Yeah. Like now, now we're in a great position because now you've got to think about it. Like why, why is one person said to do it one way? One person said to do it the other way. When is it applicable? How does that actually relate with your experience? So, um, I think there's loads of things that tie into that. And it, I guess, it, again, it comes back down to your, how you set up your environment. And something I focused on a lot last season was just 
actually challenging the players to ask questions. I, I hate that bit where you go, right, everyone happy? And everyone goes, yeah, 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 fine. Wanders off, to starts training, and then you go, holy shit, like clearly no one understood what I was talking about here, but no one wanted to ask that question. So, Andy, in your experience, like how how do you draw that out of players? If you work with teams where they're not, they're not big on challenging you or questioning and getting more information, like what, what have you constructed there? Yeah, there's definitely a cultural aspect there as well. Like being an Australian coach in Canada, especially when I coach at the high school level, you know, you, you mentioned the Oracle, that's kind of, they, they look at you as like, you must know everything. So it is a challenge. Um, I always start my season in those first few uh, sessions and say, look, there are 30 coaches here. There's not just one, there's 30. And I, I, I expect to hear you coaching each other. Uh, and obviously that depends on the group again and where they're at and what their, what their skill set is. But um, I, I want to hear voices. I, I want, I want there to be conversations between, you know, add stoppages in games and I'll even, I'll even just get them to huddle and, and say, okay, you three people, you have to talk right now uh, about the concept that we're working on and how, what we're doing well and what we need to work on. And I'll just sit out the back and eavesdrop. Um, so yeah, you, you definitely have to challenge kids to do it. And then across genders too, I'm, I'm really finding it so much fun coaching women this is only my second season coaching women and they they will question a lot freer than men will and so as a coach i need to be really prepared with my with my session and my my philosophies around well for me it's defense right now uh is why we're doing what because there will be questions a hundred percent so i think um, knowing who again, knowing your playing group uh, is really important in in that area. I love it, guys. Again, I'm really conscious of time, um, so I, I think we'll probably just kind of pause that one there. But I'm I'm gonna just get you to make some other recommendations if you'd be uh, so kind as to anything else you would suggest people take a look at. What like what's what's grabbed your attention recently? What's been good? Where where else would you give people a nudge to uh, to go and look? Uh, a couple books or things that I've been learning from lately. Uh, I'm currently reading Fear Less by Dr. Pippa Grange, a sports psychologist. I believe she's Australian, but uh, worked a lot with Aussie rules teams as well as the England football team. And uh, yeah, good book on fear and performance. Uh, it's just providing some, some challenging food for thought for me lately. Um, I would also say, yeah, Doug's book, highly recommended. Obviously, um, I'm biased towards it. Um, but then um, another book as far as something that kind of provides some actionable things um, that we talked about that uh, in line with what Andy shared at the beginning, uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle um, is just a fantastic read on creating culture and and really bringing it to life as well. Um, one more book, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I was just um, reviewing that book the other day, and she has a whole section in there about values and bringing your values to life, which is really what we were talking about. And, and I love the phrase she uses, like, how do you take your values from BS to behavior? Because that's what we want to do with our teams, because... I think we all agree that that those behaviors are what ultimately drive the success and the learning and the performance of those individuals in the team. 
Fantastic. Thanks, Luke. Great recommendations. Andy, what are you saying? Um, definitely Carol Dweck mindset, uh, especially if you're a parent. Um, both my wife and I uh, read it as our first child was uh, on the way, and that was 11 years ago. And I'm so grateful to have read that before trying to parent a child. And also when kids start getting into sport and, you know, the, the pressures that some parents can put on their, on their kids to, to live up to some ideal that they have uh, is, is crazy. So it's transferred really well into what they do in their sport, what they do in the classroom. Uh, and I, I can't speak more highly about it. I tried so hard to get her on the podcast. Uh, she didn't answer my emails. I have a policy. I send two emails and then I quit. Um, so I, was, I, I sent her three though, uh, but couldn't, couldn't get her on. Um, I also mentioned uh, Lynn Kidman, uh, Developing Decision Makers. Uh, it's, it's massive. It's an expensive book. It's a little bit hard to get, but it talks about, there's some rugby stuff in there. There's some volleyball stuff. There's softball but everything we've talked about and some coaching science uh, is in that book. And that was a big one for me. And then the other one, I, I, I've actually lost it. So I need to put it on my Christmas list is a book called Mind Gym uh, by Gary Mack. And it's basically, um, it's a, a little, you know, sports psych handbook that there are situations in there that are applicable to every coach you coach. And so what I've done a lot of in the past is, okay, you're, you're struggling with managing emotions. Uh, let's have a chat about that. But I'm going to send you these five pages of a book and I want you to read them and let's have a chat with it afterwards. Or you're, you seem to be struggling with confidence. Let's have a talk about that. Oh yeah, okay. So here's, I'll send you these four pages and let's have a look at it. Um, I've used that book so much and I think I actually lent it to a coach uh, who has not given it back. So I'll have to track them down. Uh, but yeah, they'd be, they'd be my three. Fantastic. Um, just just give guys a, a heads up. Where, where, uh, what are your podcasts and where can they find you? Uh, my podcast is the Coaches Club podcast. Uh, you can search for that or just search my name, Luke Gromer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, my own account is at Luke Gromer or uh, at Coaches Club underscore. Um, would love to connect with anyone there. Um, and yeah. Uh, my email is luke at transformsport.org as well. Um, coaches are welcome to email me um, if they want to connect or have follow-up questions to anything I shared. Top man. Thank you very much. Andy, you? Yep. So uh, the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast, the very first rugby coaching podcast out there. Um, no, no bragging or anything like that. But uh, yes, uh, I have a Facebook page. Uh, I have a Twitter handle, uh, which is at rugby coaches c-o-a-c-h-s-c-n-r and then i'm on twitter at andy plymer and i have an instagram page but uh i'm in my 40s now so uh instagram and i aren't, aren't gelling too much uh but it's out there and and you can listen to the pod on you know all places spotify apple everything like that fantastic guys I, i've absolutely loved this discussion um i think sometimes the, the conversations i have on here can be quite um, big picture and, and abstract and I, I think this one was just down in the detail and, and hopefully uh, uh, you know even just for me a ton of takeaways of actually ways I can make my coaching better so I, I really appreciate that and I'm sure the listeners will as well um, 
So I'll round up the roundup. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a great discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Thank you.